You're listening to The Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food and drink, vodka and cheese, actually. It's, You're so excited. I'm so excited. Oh, look at your little you know, face. Look, you know, there's something, you know, we've talked a lot about cheese over the years and it's just, it's just a very, very, very exciting thing. You're pretty excited as well. I'm so happy right now. Yeah. And it's and uh, the reason why we're happy is because we've got four cheeses to choose from, and it looks like I've got about three glasses of vodka in front of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's my happy place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't and also, got... the last time we recorded, it was vodka. It was twelve o'clock, and today we're recording Hooray. actually a bit closer to kind of you know sensible time. It's quarter to four. Recording quarter to four. Quarter to Not four. Not in the morning. Happy hour. Yeah, we're, we're kind of in happy hour. Indeed. So we're, we're joined by Jason Hines of Neil's Yard Dairy. Thank you so much for bringing some cheese with us. It's an absolute Jason. pleasure. So um, very exciting. A little bit whiffy in the studio, it's but we're fine. <laughs> we're fine with that. Yes. And um, also we're joined by Jan Voronieski. That's right. Hello. Hello. And you're from Kavkar Vodka. That's it. You are. Kavka I am vodka. Kavka vodka. You are yes. vodka. And this is a Polish vodka. Very so we're going Polish to be, we, we've got three English cheeses and one Welsh cheese, and we've got some Polish vodka. Now, I wasn't quite sure how to start. So um, I think we're just going to dive in. We've just got to dive we? in, haven't we? So, so in the studio here, we've got, uh, we've got microphones everywhere, we've got leads, we've got headphones, we've got bits of cheese and glasses. So it, it might be a little bit um, noisy. Um, Jason, we, we know uh, we've talked a lot on this programme and uh, we, we, we've been lucky to have the guys from La Fromagerie here as well, which is another great yeah, yeah. cheese shop, you know. Um, and, um, you know, there's more, well, there's now more English and British cheese producers than there is in France or a number of, number of you know, different sorts of cheeses. Our cheese culture has just taken off since, what, 30 years when you started this? Um, well, I think it's the 20th century is an interesting period of time to look at um, if you're looking at, at what's happened with British cheese because it's really only in the last 40 years that this kind of um, this rebirth of, of British farmhouse cheeses began hmm. um, at the beginning of the second 20, uh, the, 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 the 20th century. There was thousands of producers. Um, or hundreds certainly making a cheddar. Now there's only three or four making a proper cheddar. Yeah. Um, and when I began in the business nearly 30 years ago, there was only two. So uh, it, it has gone through this uh, amazing, uh, you know, depression, if you like, throughout most of the 20th century. Uh, but it's really in the last of 30 to 40 years that um, it's come back with a vengeance. Uh, and stunning. I mean, we really can literally hold our head up uh, across the globe in terms of cheese making. And, and in, you know, and in fact, you know, one of the, for me, one of the, one of the reasons for, uh, aside from the fact that I, was weaned on cheese and was um, keen to follow my passion and do something that would pay me to eat cheese. Um, I also was very keen to having discovered Neil's Yard as a as a shopper um, going into Soho. I would go in on a Saturday and buy records, so play play records. Um, I'd also buy. I discovered Neil's Yard and started buying cheese because um, I I couldn't believe that it was such amazing cheeses made in in Britain. Um, and so uh, my goal was always at some point in the future to export the best British cheese to France, uh, having grown up speaking, having been educated. That by, would have been laughable. Well, uh, literally, risible. 40 years ago. I know. And, yeah. uh, and, but having grown up speak, you know, I was, um, ed- grew up being educated um, by Franciscan nuns and um, 
speaking the language, was very keen uh, and being a bit of a Francophile, very keen to, to get it, the best British cheese to France. And actually now it's our second biggest and fastest growing market. Wow. Um, and the reality is the French just love great food and we have great cheese. So mm. it's not, it, while it was laughable, while it theori- theoretically it's laughable, if you've got a great product. It's a market where people appreciate great appreciate products. It. They yeah. appreciate good food, <laughs> good drink. Now, one of the things that only dawned on me reasonably recently, actually, is that you can get the same cheese made by the same maker mm. in the same way. Mm-hmm. I can have it on, you know, a store in Waitrose. Mm-hmm. I can go to your shop, but actually that same cheese by the same maker will taste Markedly different. I'm so glad you asked that. And question. that was a, that was a that was a huge shock to me. And yeah. and um, cheese is about the way you keep it, isn't it? It's more than that. Uh, yes. Well, I'm sure we'll go into it. <laughs> I'm just going to bring Holly yeah. in. Uh, Holly, th- that's the thing where for me, delis and, and farm shops actually can really beat the supermarkets. They can have the same range actually, but they've got to understand how to keep it. Yeah. And and and, and 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 you know b- because it, it's markedly different when you then get it home. It completely is. And I think there is also an element of educating the customer about what they do with the cheese, how they look after it when it's in their fridge. Um, And I think it is a really big job. um, And I think it can sometimes um, take a bit of investment for, you know, a a small scale independent shop. Maybe the, the owner loves cheese, doesn't know a huge amount about it, but they really do need to educate themselves um, and get the, the tips and tricks and, um, technology maybe um that they need to really showcase the cheeses at their best because they deserve it good cheeses deserve to Mm. be really showcased and looked after so tell us how to look after cheese then now's your chance well um i think that even before it comes to the looking after it i think just you touch on a point which i will just very briefly um just say a couple of words about because i think it's fundamentally important to farmhouse cheese most people that eat cheese are used to having it taste the same one day to the next because that's mm. how commodity products are. They seek to be the same. But actually, with any of these cheeses, from one day to the next, they change. Um, that can be to do with climate and it can be to do with, um, you know, what the cows are eating or what the sheep or the goats are eating. It can be to do with who's making cheese that day. And so if you imagine that you were to make a recipe, a cake, and, uh, you know, on two consecutive days, if there's a different chef making the cake, it won't taste the same. Farm cheese is much like that. There are many, many details that can cause the cheese to be different from one day to the next. So when so, you're... But, but in, in a way, that's, a, that's almost like wine. So one yeah. year we've got um, this particular cheese and it's got a slightly this flavour. The next year, I'm sorry, chaps, it's slightly different this yeah. year because we've got... But, and that's but, OK, isn't it? But wine, with wine, it's easy in a yeah. way because there's one crew. With a cheese like, um, you know, this cheddar here, um, they're making cheese most of the days in the year. Let's imagine, uh, I think there's maybe five days in the week. So let's imagine they're making 250 days in the year. There's 250 crews. They are two, they, they, no two days will taste the same. Hmm. So there's a, there's a um, and they can range from being, from being absolutely exceptional to spit out awful. I mean, it's not that common that there's that kind of polarity, but but that that is the kind of variation that you can get. So I think keeping the cheese well and serving it well is important. Um, uh, but if you start off with something that's not brilliant to begin with, it will always remain yeah, not brilliant. You eat your stuff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we spend a lot of time on farms selecting going through the different batches and grading out the ones that 
we want to buy. So that's yep. quite an unusual thing. Yep. But then you're absolutely right. Putting cheese in good conditions where we have, um, you know, we have six or seven different temperature and humidity controlled environments where we put these different cheeses. So that cheese, which is the cheddar, did not spend um, any time in the same room as this cheese, the St. Jude, which is like a sort of saint Marcelin style, or this. None of these four cheeses spent I've their lives met in the, they've, they've never met. They've come together for the first time this on this small a table. beautiful moment for them. Yes, they've, nev- they've never met. They've been waiting all, yeah. this, all their lives. Okay, so let, let's try let's one try, and yeah. explain how that's this one's been kept and, and how you would look after it. So, so we have... Which, so this is St. Jude. Yeah. Um, this is... Oh, uh, I hate this job. Uh, I so hate this job. Um, it's... Mm. Uh, it, it's it's made to uh, a recipe that follows the Saint Marcelin recipe, which is a French cheese, cow's milk cheese recipe, um, which uh, um, originates in the Rhone Valley. It's a very kind of unctuous, lactic, fresh, creamy, lactic, um, very creamy, uh, and uh, but it's just got this lovely mouthfeel, a little touch of sourness. Really nice. The the French equivalent, I think, is slightly can have slightly slightly pointier flavour. This one's got it sort of envelops your mouth a bit more. It's a bit gentler. Oh, um, that is so nice. Holly, say something. Describe it. Doing Suffolk proud. Um, it. I don't know. Same same as Jason. Just it's, it's got so a really creamy. nice long aftertaste as well. It's well, almost a, kind of clotted cream kind of texture. It's as well. luscious and indulgent. Um, mm. This texture's really, great. The Samaritana is definitely one of my favourite cheeses. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the number of small, because they come in those little terracotta pots. Yeah. And I have a ridiculous number of those terracotta mm-hmm. pots in my house. Um, that's a great, that's a, it's great. I mean, uh, one of the things I love about English cheese and British cheese is that they are innovating. Yeah. So on some level, I have a sort of bit of a complicated relationship with the idea of someone trying to recreate a French mm. classic cheese. But it is done brilliantly. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's I, slightly different. I agree with you. It, it is. Yeah, I think I think that um, you know, obviously, the climate's very different, um, and uh, the milk that it, this cheese um, this 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 cheese is made with is actually from a French breed um, that is very very good milk for turning into cheese, Montbelliard. Um, but uh, what's 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 kind of dynamic about what's happening now in the British cheese industry is. Um, and it's only in the last 10, 15 years that we've started to see innovators, as you, as you just mentioned, you know, people um, looking inspired by seeking to emulate, you know, some of the, 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 the recipes of the, of the famous, you know, well, you know, well-known continental and mainly French varieties. Um, and, uh, and actually, I think meeting, you know, meeting those levels that you would find if you were to go and buy, you know, buy those similar cheeses in France. So this is a soft cheese. Um, yeah. um, a, a soft cheese you could also consider, um, let's say, camembert or brie to be a soft cheese. Mm. How would you keep that at home? How, how would you, you you be able to keep that in, in its best condition? What uh, would you recommend? Well, first of all, um, plastic is you know wrapping in in cling film is a bit the of worst a, is a sin. Um, always using the wax paper. You know, a wax paper. Or if you haven't got it, you know. Uh, Baking, you know, there's sort of bake four sheets or parchment or paper, yeah. something like that. Baking I mean, sheet. even, even you know, even tinfoil isn't a disaster. Something where the cheese can take a bit of air, um, uh, you know, can lose a bit of moisture yeah. and not sweat. Yeah. And then the the best place, I mean, most people in London, her, they're living in centrally heated uh, flats and so they don't have a cellar or a, or a larder to put it in. But, 
you know, the bottom drawer of the fridge is perfect. It's a nice little microclimate um, snuggled up to a lettuce or vegetables, cre- you know, that's a nice humid environment because all these vegetables, salad is a great thing. So you want part of cheese like that next to. Humidity. Um, yeah, so uh, what, what you must not do is what my mum used to do and what I think many people do um, is to take the cheese and then, um, you know, wrap it in cling film, as I said, shouldn't do, and then put it in a box, a Tupperware box, shut the lid so that it can't get any air to it whatsoever. So then the cheese is losing a bit of moisture, which all cheeses do. And And then it's nowhere for that moisture to go. Mm. So very, because it's trapped. And so it then creates this environment inside the box, which is extremely 100% humidity, where you get that thin layer of white mould that very quickly grows over the cut surface, which is bitter and unpleasant, and it's never the same cheese again. So really, it just wants to be able to breathe a little bit in an environment which is not dry. Definitely not the drawer in the fridge where it says dairy, because that's very dry. Yeah, okay. So yeah, you know, if you, I actually... Wrap it in the parchment that that we that we wrap it up in the shop. Maybe put it in a just a loosely closed plastic bag in the drawer with with, with produce in the in the bottom drawer of the fridge so and keeps it well. Humidity. And then out a good two or three hours if we're going to eat it. And uh, the next one is this is, this is a semi soft, fairly semi new cheese. Um, it? No, it's this time of year. I wouldn't mind it. This was a little bit softer actually, but. Um, I'm a very, very big fan of this cheese. This is called St. James. Um, and it's a washed rind sheep's milk cheese made in Cumbria. Um, made with the Lacorn. Lacorn is a breed of you, um, sheep's milk. Slightly um, crumbly. It, it can break or break down all the way through sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's very temperamental, but it's 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 not it's it's not. It's drier, but it's still got some kind of toothsome element to its texture. So it's not like dry powdery. You know, your teeth can sort of um, glide into it. Um, and it's got that. I mean, I love sheep's milk cheese. Um, and there's right now we're in. We're right in the middle of the season. Um, what do you think of that, Ollie? It's not my favourite, actually. I really like that. It reminds me of that cheese. I'm trying to think of which one it is. Um, that's that. I yeah, know you also sell. Um, um, a soft one? No, similar similar texture to that actually. Risley, is it? Probably, yeah. A washed rind. I really, I really like that. Mm. I mean, I, I think part of it for me is, I, I feel that with cheese, what's really nice is is the variety. Oh wow! I mean, so so for me, it's like you have yeah. something like we had at the beginning of the St Jude's, and it's like creamy and soft, and it's basically like spreading a really big chunk of butter mm. on a bit of bread. That's a completely different texture. Covered in cream. One. Try this because this is this is another part of the same cheese, which is much more broken down. Thank you. So. That's a completely different flavour to the last flavour, and yet it's off. No, it's, I prefer that. That's yeah, from, it's just from the same chunk from the same cheese. cheese, but only from about an inch away from the last mm. bit that I gave you. Mm. That's the amazing thing about, you know, you know, handmade products or farm-made <clears throat> products is the kind of diversity that's lovely. that you get, not just from one day's production to the next. You know, we were talking about how the variety, you know, how you got maybe up to sort of three hundred and fifty crews in one year Mm. but also within one piece of cheese we're going to do the same exercise in a minute with the cheddar and um, the salt crystals in it yeah with the cheddar yeah 
There will be some, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see that actually as you traverse from the centre to the outside of the cheese. <laughs> if anybody cheese. can see Ollie's face. I just know. I, just, <laughs> so I, I think it's just, it's just so... I think okay, cheese so, is so, just really... So we're going to go on to cheddar. Now, the, the, the first two cheeses we've had are very sort of white in colour. Yeah. Um, and then the thing for me that I do love um, about cheddar... It always is the most beautiful colour. I mean, and that is a gorgeous golden, golden yeah. yellow. Well, uh, first of all, um, that the cows that um, go in, that produce this milk are a, a native British breed. Really, if you go back a hundred years, the black and white Holsteins or Frisians, you didn't see them, and the breeds that were native to the UK were two. They were. Um, dairy, British dairy shorthorns, which you'd have found more in England, and, and in Scotland you'd have found Ayrshire's. Um, and on this farm here in Wales, they have Ayrshire's. So smaller animal, lower yielding. So instead of sort of eight to ten thousand liters a year, four to five thousand liters a year, but smaller fat globules and better for transport. A better sort of dual purpose. Good for meat, but also very good for transforming into cheese, but without the same yield that you would want if you're just liquid milk, uh, liquid milking. Now, so, typically, um, uh, cheddar's hard cheeses will be fairly young um, yeah. and also uh, uh, done in, in a way to get rid of moisture. That, that That's why they're hard. Mm-hmm. Is, is, have I got that as a yeah, um, overarching principle? So, so the, the, the thing about cheese is that um, diff- cheeses of different varieties, are, are, you know, are, at, their, are, at their origin were products of their environment. And so cheeses in environments where there was a climate that was cool it allowed you to keep the cheese for longer yep. because the cheese wouldn't spoil. A cheese like um, a Saint-Marcelin made in the southeast of France or something made in Provence, for example, without refrigeration, if you don't keep, you know, if you can't keep it for long, it's going to, if you keep it for much what time, it will spoil. Eat it straight away. Well, that's another solution. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, we have a climate in the UK which is predisposed to being able to keep cheeses for longer because it's cool out. Um and so uh, um, cheddars, uh, you know, most of the cheddars that we keep will probably be kept for a year or more, some for a bit longer. It depends on the batch, actually. Yeah. Um, so, so, so reveal which cheese I, this is. So I thought this, it was this, Montgomery, but it's not. No, no, but it, it is a Welsh cheddar. Right. Holly? Holly, guess. You said you were going to get, you said you thought you might know oh. what it was. Uh, I saw the label. Oh, that's cheating. That's cheating. But, um, so it's Hafford. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, I have that. Right. So this Excellent. cheese is made in West Wales. Um, and actually it's made on um, uh, 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 a farm which is one of the first, was one of the first farms um, at the beginning of the organic movement in the late 1970s. So it's Patrick Holden's farm. Yeah. And um, Cow's milk. Cow's milk, Ayrshire milk. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a small farm, probably about, um, they produce Thank about you. 30 tonnes. Now, what I want you to do yeah. is I want you to taste the bit near the centre, the nib, as it were, and then you're going to go right underneath the rind and have that bit, and you're going to find two totally different flavours because the... See, now that is so strong in terms of taste. Where is the Strong min- or full? Full is probably yeah, I'm not I, using the right vocabulary. Well, well, a lot of people, you know, um, for me, there's a lot of strong cheeses. And for, for me, a strong cheddar is one which is maybe quite acid, quite, you know, people say, oh, I, love, I love a cheddar that burns my mouth. And that's not a very good, for no, me, that's a strong cheddar. Yeah. Um, this is full. Then. Yeah, this I want something that's just what we're looking for when we grate huge it. Something that just fills your mouth. Huge And has got a long, balanced, rounded flavour that mm. 
you know, after you've swallowed it, the flavour is there for, you know, minutes after you've swallowed it. That's really what we're looking for. And it won't be like that with every batch that we'll have graded. In fact, um, our buyer was up there with a couple of people from the team just last week. Grade, we grew up there every three months mm. and grade out um, three months' worth of cheese. So then if you tackle a little bit from just under the rind, you'll find a yeah, much more... Yeah, can I more... ask... Sorry, sorry. Yeah. What, what, what are you thinking, Jan? Are you enjoying that? that was... Very much so. <laughs> just the tip. The... Have I'm you keeping just ta- quiet and enjoying you've it. You've just tasted the tip bit so far. I've, I've tasted both ends. Mm. Right, so we've got to now taste the other end. So there's... There's more acidity in the middle because there's been less of the effect of the rind maturing the cheese from the outside to the centre. So it'd be, it'll be brighter, more acid in the centre, and where there's been more of the, the effect of the mould ripening the cheese from the outside, from the outside, because that's where that's where the rind is, is grown, it's slightly drier and it'll be more savoury. It'll be meatier. It's it'll have a very, dif- a very different character. Mm. Um and I think that's one of the things that, you know, fascinates me about, um, you know, this this kind of hand, you know, handmade cheese is, is just in with what, within one very small little slice, you can get this kind of diversity of flavour, um, which, you know, it's several cheeses in one. Ollie, you're not saying anything. Right. It's always just... <clears throat> just I'm just trying to keep, keep getting bits of cheese, you know, mm. keep, keep attracting <laughs> the eye and be like, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a lovely cheddar. That's a lovely cheddar. I mean, it's... I've had it before, and it's. I think one of those. The interesting thing about cheddar is it, it became so industrialized mm-hmm. in the way that it's been produced. And the texture was always awful. Oh, yeah. Slightly rubbery, mm. horrible texture. Sort of trampolini. Mm. <laughs> trampolini um, texture. But, you know, I mean, it's just that is such a sophisticated. Because mm. I, I think cheddar became also that. Now. Yeah, you know, it's long. Mm. It's really long. Mm. It's like the end of a really good evening. It's like. Mm. Mm. Still got still, that. Still mm. got it. And blue cheese. So you explain... Have, so um, still got it. I know I've still got it. I know that. But I meant I've still got the taste of the cheese. <laughs> we haven't hit the vodka yet. No, I know. Yeah, it's still to come. Um, and so blue cheese um, it is, um, you know, it has blue mould typically. And that, that mould is... So running... So the veins is, is probably a better word. It is by... Is, by metal, generally, isn't so, it? So, no. So what happens well, is, if you one? look carefully uh, on the outside, you'll see a Little few holes, holes here yeah. and there. And so when the cheese is made uh, 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 into the milk, they will also add some blue starter culture, yep. as well as the starter culture, which acidifies the milk, which begins the cheese-making process. And then that starter, that blue starter culture remains dormant in the cheese until such a point as the cheese is pierced using stainless steel needle. A lot of people think it's injected. It's not. What happens is the stainless steel needles go into the cheese and then the oxygenation wakes up the blue starter culture and then the blue begins to grow down those lines where the stainless steel needles have gone in. Yep. And so with the cheddar, we talked about the cheese ripening from the outside in like a brie or a camembert does or any cheese does from the outside in. And, of course, this happens with these blue cheeses too, but then at a period that's a little bit later, and in this case, um, the first pierce would be probably about five weeks. Once that piercing has happened, the bluing begins, and then the cheese is also maturing from the inside out. So breaking something down, that's very, the curd that's very dry and crumbly and acidic, and turning it into something that's much sweeter and creamier. Mm. So there's two, there's two kind of maturing, uh, you know, Actions going on. Going on here, yeah. We had the lovely people from um, was it Butler's Uh, Black Six Blue. Uh, Lovely people um, here a few uh, 
programs ago. And again, the, their stuff was lovely. Yeah. Now, you see, I love... Is this digital? To no, digital? This, is a, this is a new one I thought I'd All bring right. along just because... I was once given a whole digital for Christmas. Were you? A whole one? Yeah. Blimey, you've my old, got my, my, old, my old business partner. It was, I have to say, we had a lot of fun with that. So I normally buy Stitchleton, and what's the other one that, you, that I normally buy? Uh, Colston Bassett. Um, Colston Bassett, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's a, it's uh, a Colston Bassett is, is my yeah. favourite, I have to say. Yeah, I, w- I would say... I would say maybe Colston Bassett is my desert island cheese. If you said mm-hmm. you could only have one cheese... Uh, but or, I've had Colston Bassett from a supermarket, and it's been absolutely dreadful. Well, that... The, 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 because, the and that's Col- not Colson Bassett's fault. The, well, the Colson Bassett that that, um, that we buy, because uh, we I think we're um, we're their largest customer, and they make a different recipe for us. Um, so it's using animal rennet uh, cheeses pierced um, one fewer times, so there's less blue. Um, and it, it's a, if you stand it next door to the cheese that can also be bought in the supermarket, they do taste quite different. Jason, oh, I can't even. This, but this is a new one. This is so what is this? This is called Spark and Hope Blue. Oh. Spark oh, I've never heard of this one. Spark and Ho. So the, 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 the Red Leicester, but they they're make well Red known Lester. for... She's good, isn't she? Yeah. She's <laughs> good at cheese. She knows um, her cheese. What do you think of this one? I think it's amazing. And I love the... I don't know if this is me knowing oh. that it has... Does it have animal rennet? Yeah. But I can kind of sense in the back of my mind a bit of rich meatiness Yeah, almost, it's very savoury. Rather than it's just being It's really savoury. It's I, very umami. I, I think that's, gorgeous. that's perceptive. I think that... Um, yeah, there's a particularly the aftertaste, and as you get down to the rind, just under the rind, for me, the the diversity between the bit in the centre, which we talked about with the cheddar, and the bit under the rind, oh. the difference in flavour between those two is even greater because of the effects of the two types of maturing, and underneath the rind, for me, that the savouriness of that is. Um, is absolutely, you know, it's, it's it's almost. If you didn't know you're eating a cheese, you might think it's a stock or some, you know, it's got that incredible beefiness, that sort of stocky essence. We are so going to fight over who takes that home. No, you're not. You're going. You're going to Iceland, aren't you? You're going to Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't it keep too? Uh, no, right, yeah. no, 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 it won't. No, no, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> They're so horrible to me. Mm. Jan, did, are you a fan of green? Uh, green, green uh, of uh, blue cheese? Uh, very much. I, I, oh. We, we in my restaurants, we take uh, been taking Eels Yard cheese for years and years and years. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm going to swap over. I haven't yeah. had this one. Yeah. Must give me that one afterwards. I haven't had, had this one yeah. before. I, I haven't. No, gorgeous. I it's fabulous. You're definitely entitled to a piece, Jan. I think. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'll yeah. take the whole thing. <laughs> Done. Mm. Can something, we come... something about a, a blue cheese like that. Oh. It's just such a particular flavour. Mm. There is nothing else like it. And you it can't just... explain it, can you? Tell no. me? Oh, really, which is rubbish because we're on radio. But all I'd say is, I mean, I, I, but I also, I mean, look, I think one of the things that Neil's Yard does a great job of is the retail experience mm. of cheese. And I think when you walk in there, it is, you know, you feel like you're on a day out. It's mm. an activity, and I've always loved the way the guys there. Will taste and eat with you. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, I wonder if they all need to lie down at the end of the day. What? But I mean, they must. I mean, they. Do they have cholesterol tests at the end of each? We've yeah. I'm, we've all. <laughs> we. It's not. It's not mandatory, but most of us are. You know, aware of it, and we're all pretty active, and we do eat a lot of cheese. But we, but none of us are ranked particularly high on that test. But it's important that we do that because, as I mentioned before, the batches taste different from one to the next, and so. It's really important that the customer that came in two weeks ago or last week and bought a Havard cheddar is not going to be buying the same batch the next yep. time. So it will be different. Um, and it's important that whoever's serving that person, that they also know how it tastes today. And by eating it together, 
and having a discussion about it, you, you know, it's a, it's a genuine engagement mm. with the process of <clears throat> buying some food. <laughs> something else, um, I went to Nozialik a few weeks ago, and something that I thought was really amazing is that you had the St. Sarah and the St. Jude kind of sister cheese. Mm. And I'd never, it was blue, and I'd never seen that before. So on the I, right, on the outside. On the right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mentioned that to the girl who was serving me, and she said, oh, yeah, we're just, just trying it out, just see what happens. And that was so exciting mm-hmm. that there was a retailer who wasn't just going by what the producer advised or, you know, just kind of having confidence to play around with it mm. yourself was brilliant. Mm. Well, I think that's what part of it. In the very early days, you know, talking to Randolph, who's the founder, about about how the, you know, how the business began, Um at that time, in the late 70s, 1979, there was no, people didn't know British cheese, and he didn't know British cheese, but made cheese, and then went to go and visit farmers that made cheeses also, um, because he had a place where he sold the cheese that he made himself in Neil's yard, and then thought, oh, well, I don't really know these, so I better taste them out. I think they're good, but I better go and taste them out with the customers to see what they think, because I might be wrong. And in that, in so doing, created this experience i suppose mm. which was anathema to the consumer at the time but i think um meant they got what they wanted to buy and and also they left with an experience which was quite novel at the time essentially in 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 a french context do would a french cheesemaker try cheese with you never no, i thought you'd say that. Uh, no a french you mean a, a cheesemonger yes, yes yeah no they don't they, well, they, with fromagerie do but that's it's, no but i mean in france they don't france, do they? We, they don't um they because they say well of course the customer knows what they, the customer knows the cheese well, that's not true because, and, and actually, it, that is that culture is changing. There's a shop that's opening next week in Paris called Cheeses of the World, C O W Cow, and um, uh, they, they are very much sort of building a shop with a smaller range and that kind of way of selling. Um, so they will, they will, will have yeah. quite a lot of cheese in that shop. So, yeah. it, you know, I think that um, the French cheese customer is also very partial to have that experience if it's offered to them but yeah if, if indeed it's offered mm. so yeah um uh, so your your background um um from poland and stuff uh, is there a, a cheese making culture in, in poland of any note? there is i mean they the, the, the classic polish cheese is a mountain cheese called osipek which is a um uh goat's cheese then smoked goat's cheese it's quite strong it's quite an acquired taste and you certainly it certainly stays with you for some time um, <laughs> whether you want but, it or not <laughs> yeah. and then they do a lot of soft cheeses as well kind of ricotta-ish ricotta-ish type uh soft cheeses and cream cheeses and things like that hmm. and not such so much i don't think there's any blue cheese or uh you know variations particularly and in terms of vodka, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, there's obviously the, the Russian vodka, you know, which is quite famous. But po- Poland had a real history of, of producing vodka. Well, the, the, the ongoing argument, which will go on forever, is whether, who invented vodka and who makes the best vodka. Yeah. And, of course, I will be saying it's Poland. Um, quite historically, I don't know, you know, who came first. Um, but certainly it all came out of kind of, um, distillations for medicinal purposes and that process of using the, the pot stills in the, uh, to create spirits. And then eventually, in around the 17th century, when, they, the, when vodka as we know it started to be produced. 
And and one of my favourites, this is a long time ago because now there's loads loads of vodkas to choose from. Um, I used to really like bison vodka because oh, I used, used to, to like the grass. As well. I used to... You know, the flavours, which we yeah. can't really describe to somebody else. It's, it's quite, quite no, extraordinary. I mean, in those days, there wasn't, there was just like Smirnoff or, or whatever. Yeah. And, and and then that came onto the market. And I, I found that quite extraordinary. So, so is there There's a is very there subtle flavour. Yeah. A bit of is, is there a sort of, his, you know, a tradition of putting grasses inside in order to get a, a type of flavour? Well, there's a long tradition of, of flavouring vodkas in different ways. Mm. So from very subtle flavours like the Zhubarovka, the bison grass, um, through to the full-on, what the Poles called Nelevki, which are the fruit-infused vodka. So the classic one is the sour cherry. But you can basically make vodka out of any fruit or infusion, you know, what you want. Um, And to some extent, some of these flavorings were used to camouflage the rather inexact distillation practices back in the day before the the column still was, you know, invented and and perfected. Um, but um, some of them are very subtle you know, infusions. Yep. So, yep. Well, before we sort of move on a little bit further, we've just had a bit of cheese and I feel like I need a little drink. <laughs> yes. So you very kindly brought two drinks with you. What have I got in front of me? Well, we've got a little glass of Kavka vodka, which is our vodka that we've recently launched in the UK, um, and a little refreshing cocktail should you need okay, so uh, should we to go rehydrate the, should we go a bit. strong stuff? Would you pair this with any of the particular cheeses that we have in front of us? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's... It's quite strong flavoured. Um, I'm serving it warm, which most people will wince when they taste warm vodka. But this is made to old-fashioned production techniques. And going back to what we were saying oh, about flavour after that, this has uh, <coughs> it's kind of an old, old-fashioned production technique whereby you get a this is a blend of good rye and wheat spirits. That and has then, actually really burnt my throat. I and think. then. <laughs> And then you it's add really very small strong. quantities of aged fruit spirits. So in this case, a bit of plum and a bit of apple. And so that gives a depth of flavour and a complexity you don't normally find in a vodka. If you if you drank a, as you said, a Smirnoff warm, you'd be I mean, wincing a bit, that, no. but you'd be wincing a lot more. There's all sorts of things going on. So I've drunk that and then I, I had a massive hit and thinking, wow, that's pretty... Where am I? What am I doing on this radio program? <laughs> yeah, which happens a lot. But 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 big alcohol hit, and now there's us. There's still I've still got all sorts of things going on. Actually, it reminds um, this might sound weird. It reminds me of a grappa mm. in the mm. in the sort of because I mean grappas have a lot of sort of richness. I I always talk about the sort of the very boring mass produced vodkas as being very singular, and I think this has a much more. Um, do you do you understand when I say a grappa? No, absolutely. I mean this is what we're aiming. I mean I think. Uh, the problem with vodka has been that it's a kind of combination of of the uh, kind of centralization and industrialization of vodka production during the Soviet era in Poland and Russia. And so every kind of plain vodka came out the same. Plus the Americans, who the legal definition of vodka in America is a spirit without taste, without flavor, without character. No. Yes, that's, that is the legal definition. This vodka on, cannot be called the... vodka in, in, in the United States. Sorry, so they actually will test if it has any profile. Yes, yeah, so if somebody tastes it and says, oh, that got flavor, then that ain't vodka. Can I, and can I have was... some of that um, 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 blue? That is... I, I think that's going to go well with that vodka. So that is an astounding fact, is it not? It's a ridiculous so, fact. But I mean, that's really interesting that you would get to the point. I mean, that's, that's, well, how, I think, that's how you define you know, a being cynical. Liquid. I would say it is that you know the sugar manufacturers in in America wanting to create a, 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 a an easy spirit, um, which said to offload their excess sugar, but they, they could then call vodka. Um, 
But back in the day, and I mean, why I got to this point is that I was, I've been in the restaurant business for many, many years. I've tasted hundreds of different types of vodka. And sometimes I saw a glimpse of way that they used to make vodka back in the day. Some of the smaller old-fashioned Polish brands did have character, did have taste. And in fact, things like um, Szalicznaya used to have caraway flavoring. And a very good Polish vodka called Zitnia used to have apple spirit in it. So back in the kind of 18th, 19th centuries, each distillery would create a vodka that had individual character and taste and is a way of kind of, you know, separating them out from the field. Currently, all the big brands of um, plain vodka, they're all kind of fighting over a, a very narrow ground and trying to find a point of difference. But Which is no taste. There is no taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they're talking about, you know, 100 times distilled and filtered through this and da-da-da-da-da. You know, it so, doesn't. So tell me what else you bought for me, because I've got a long, lovely drink. Well, here. I hope it's not Lots too diluted. It's just a, a refreshing summer cocktail that Carol Torellis, who is our bar manager at Baltic and um, uh, has Thank worked you, with me on the capital production, has put together um, a very simple one to do at home, which is, uh, is some jasmine tea, some oh, um, elderflower, nice. bit of tonic water, um, bit of vanilla. Well, that's. Sorry, jasmine tea, vanilla. That's nice. Um, uh, elderflower cordial. Elderflower, top and... with tonic water. But it's quite a nice, kind of refreshing mm. summery drink. That's lovely. Did you leave your car at the station or you just need a cycle? I'm on the bicycle. Mm. Did you leave your car at the station? Um, I'm being picked up. <laughs> I'm prepared. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave mine there till tomorrow morning. Um, that's lovely. Good. Really nice and refreshing. And lots of lovely tastes there. I like it um, neat as well. Just on its own is really nice. I think, I think it's off, really flavourful. The aftertaste is lovely. Yeah, it's, it's kind of... that sort of poire williamy, that slightly fruity... Mm. Um, I was going to say, it's kind of a bit stone fruity, stone fruit, cereally exactly. kind exactly. of. It's mm. really yeah. delicious. Really I mean, the fruit spirits we put in there are these old, 70 years old age pot still fruit spirits, but it accounts amounts for less than 1% of, of the alcohol in there. But just that small amount gives an enormous amount of character. Mm. So your your you know straight vodka that would be great in a martini. Oh, it makes I'm a fabulous thinking. martini. Yeah, because and the the flavour profile. Shut up, Ollie. There's the smile when he said that. It makes him a fabulous yeah. martini. It was you. you that, that would be a really good martini. So Kafka vodka with what would you have it with? I'm thinking well, in the martini. Vermouth? I think just a twist, a lemon twist is that's all you need. Mm. And mm. the flavour profile changes as the as the drink warms up, and you get the very apple spirit to begin with, and then it becomes plum mm. later. So why did you start making vodka? Well, as I said, I've been in the restaurant business for many, many years. Um, and vodka recently, with the whole gin phenomenon, has seemed to be kind of rather irrelevant and mm. seemed to be a bit boring and driven by slightly kind of crass marketing. And so I started doing some research and um, my family used to own distilleries back in the day and one thing or another, and eventually came across... Um, these production methods and we went around various distilleries in Poland and tasted some very strange things and then eventually ended up working with this amazing woman called Ursula uh, at a small distillery in Wrocław in the west of Poland and after many kind of variations and blends we came up with this one which we think kind of works because it has uh, it, it's, it has the flexibility to be drunk by itself with a, with a mixer as a martini as I said um, and I, it was kind of a little bit of a mission because you go to some bars these days and the, and the vodka is hidden behind the cash register because it's all been about gin. But we're trying to make people realise you can actually have vodka with character and it can 
give something extra apart from just a being a kind of a bit of alcohol to and um the the, the labeling you've got is very eastern european very strong it reminds me of the sort of posters from the 1930s you That's know right. that sort of black oh, great tradition and of constructivism yeah. sort of um, posters um it's pretty bold and and it it definitely is different from anything else, and I, I presume that was done on purpose. Yes, I mean, you've got to stand out on a shelf. I wanted to have a kind of relationship between uh, traditional and old-fashioned and uh, with a degree of modernity, so mm. I, I, I didn't want it to be too heritage, um, but uh, to have that combination, which hopefully mm. hopefully we've achieved. And and um, am I correct in saying that you actually produce this in Poland? Or? We produce it in Wrocław in the west of Poland. West of Poland, yeah. There, yes. Um, and uh, you're working there with your lovely master distiller. Yes, Ursula. And a shout out for Ursula. Absolutely. In fact, the whole distillery is they, is is only staffed by women. Um, they don't allow men into the distillery. Is that a good thing? Well, a very good thing. I mean, especially, I mean, the, the Poles still can't trust a man in a vodka, vodka distillery. <laughs> so it is, it is run and... I think you meant they can't trust a man. <laughs> oh, in a... In the distillery, slightly, slightly, um, slightly crass marketing. I think it was crass marketing. <laughs> yeah, um, and and are you? Uh, I know you've bought us a lovely sort of like lovely cocktail here. Are you working with people in order to 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 try and, you know, I suppose demonstrate the different ways in which can it be used as well as just drinking it? Absolutely. Neat? I mean, we're working with different bars, um, and we're getting it into. We've been going for about six months, and we're kind of getting into bars and restaurants in London mm. and getting distribution in the in Europe now. Um, we're actually going next week to sign up with a distributor in Poland, so it's slightly kind of That's weird. You know, taking, <laughs> taking the, the yeah. prodigal son back to the old country. Mm. Um, but yes, I mean, a lot of bar attenders are, are, are very enthusiastic because finally they see a, a, a vodka that they can work with. I think I it's just, very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting, isn't it? And I, um, I think it's about time a bit more of a light was, was shone on but the I, vodka at the moment. But I also like that we've seen this a couple of times so in, in, in various programmes of, of people going back to original messages and stories and, and production methods. And it's really exciting to see that done in vodka because, you know, we had the guys, as I said the other day, from Black Cow Vodka in, and I thought actually what they're doing is really interesting. But it's just a really innovative and quite cool production methodology. But this this is, I mean, I like the fact that you're returning to... It's heritage. Heritage yep. and, 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 and not in a way that is sort of crass. It's not about, you know, faux history. This is, yeah. this is really interesting. There's an authenticity to it, which mm. I always... Mm was very keen to make sure that we we followed. And Jason, what would you what vodka would you pair with a cheese? I've just I've just had a little bit of blue cheese with that neat vodka which I was quite interesting. I think that um I've never really paired cheese with vodka before, but uh, I have paired it with quite a few other spirits. Yeah. And it does um you know, I'm quite a big fan of mezcal, which is kind of um in a way it's like an it's it's like a farmhouse tequila. And in a way, this is like a farmhouse vodka. I mean, it's got taste, it's got character, but it's big. There's a lot going on. So this St. Jude will be will not be able to keep up with it. And I yep. think the thing about pairing is you want to balance up the levels of intensity with whatever it is that you're pairing, whether it's a food and a drink or a cheese and a cheese and a drink. So um, you know, I think you're gonna want something that's got really quite a lot of power to it. The blue might get away with it. I was thinking more about, I haven't got it here with me now, 
but I think it would probably work quite well. Would be the Tunworth because there's a, there's a lovely there's there's what's what's lovely about that as well as the fact that it's big and it's full. This this vodka, um, uh, it needs something else. That would which is, cut which through is, the Tunworth a bit, actually. Well, it? It, well, that's what I that's what I mean. That mm. that sort of almost cloying, you know, satisfying mm. cream, you know, um, creaminess that you have for the texture of the cheese will be cut through with that. But also, there are two levels of intensity. Uh, which I there. think will keep up with one another yeah. and give each other a run for their money. Try that, yeah. So I right. think that might work. It's on the work. menu. Tonworth. Yeah, with, <laughs> I think it might work, yeah. With that, that could be interesting. Mm. Um, and just to, to wind up, um, so many people obviously have cheese after dinner as, mm. as they're sort of, um, you know, if they have a dinner party or friends round or something. Um, what would you be pairing with cheese? I mean, because so many people do red wine, which is like, for me, is a mm. sin. It doesn't actually work. Well, I, like to, I actually like to start with cheese myself. Right, That's yeah. a very fresh. I don't like to it's finish it. Okay. I like to start with it because I, I think you know a small little nugget of any of a cheese just kind of wakes up your palate. Mm. Um, but um, you, you, you've just validated. I mean, I have to say, there was I had a great friend in America, and he always used to before going night out, he'd like have a few cheeses and we'd have yeah. a few drinks at his house. It was a lovely way to start an evening, and it's such an amazing thing to eat. Yeah, that actually to open the evening with it does allow you to enjoy it. Yeah. So, I'd if be we can... full up though, I wouldn't eat anything for the rest well, of the Well, you just evening, have a little either. few morsels, that's all. I don't like to eat hand, you <laughs> Remember, see, that's a trouble. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the two thumb rule we, we learned yeah, the other yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's all, there's all manner of, yeah, I, I mean, I read uh, many, many years ago, um, you know, everyone says, oh, red wine, red wine and cheese, that's the best combination. It's not at all. I disagree. No, I, I completely think that, disagree. You know, I read somewhere that fat is to tannin like oil is to water. Yeah, just and and I do find that the tannins. You know, there are some amazing combinations that you can get with quite mature cheeses and some red wines. But by and large, I find the tannin kills the flavour in the cheese. Um, white wines generally pair much better. But you know, we've had six. You know, I've had lots of pleasure in recent recent months pairing. Um, pairing green teas and cheese got an incredible combination mm. with the goat's cheese and a Japanese sencha um, whiskies and washed rind cheeses scotches that work you know can work quite well sakis I mean you know See, I've been to one of your tastings and uh, there's a really nice bit of um, beer pairing yeah. going on uh, with some some craft beers and porters as well, and I th- and I think which are very nice and so you're going to go back to sort of terroir and you know mm. um you know, British food and drinks. Um, we're not a nation of winemakers. We're a nation of beer of brewers. And uh, and actually, back to that thing of intensity and marrying up levels of intensity. A lot of the native cheeses to the UK are what we call the territorials, the hard cow's milk types cheese, Lan- Lancashire cheddars, Cheshires, Chifferfillies. And actually, if you had wines with most of those, they're quite they're actually quite mild, relatively mm. quite quite acidic by their profile. And actually, they wouldn't keep up. But actually, if you have a pale ale with a Cheshire, it's incredible. Um, you know, they're just meant to be together. So, yeah, I, I think so that round the be- evening off beers, with a few beers and yeah, cheese. And, and, and blue cheeses and beers, I think uh, there's almost no beer that I've had that doesn't pair with, with a blue mm. cheese. With, well, with, you know, with a cheese like the one we've just eaten or a Colson Bassett, I think that um, there's, a, there's a lot of joy to be had. Well, I'm terribly sorry we have to end the programme. Um, you're just going to tuck in after this, aren't you? I'm just going to have a cheese first. <laughs> I love it. I, I remember once doing a cheese tasting. Well, not cheese tasting, a cheese judging, and we ate loads of cheeses. And it, it's just it's just a lot of fun. Mm. Mm. 
And we're very good at it mm. over here, which is great. So I would th- like to thank uh, Jason Hines of Neil Jardary ever so much. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure. I know it's not just you, and you're very keen to say that as a whole team mm. at Neil's Yard um, Dairy. But you know, all those years, and it's still it's still right up there. And if you if you haven't been to Borough Market or to Covent Garden and, and had a good look around, it, it, it's it's uh, it's it's how you should present cheese, don't you think, Holly? Mm-hmm. That's how you should do it. Absolutely. Mm. Great fun. Make sure you buy loads of stuff. Um, and also thank you to um, Jan Voronieski. Thank you, thank Jan. You. That wasn't what I expected. Oh, good. It I was know, really punchy. <laughs> very, very nice. It? And where can we get it? Online, uh, Headenders and Wines or drinkshop.com. Um, otherwise okay. superior selected off licenses throughout and, Excellent. and hopefully more and more bars in London right? yeah. and it goes under the name Kafka Kafka, Kafka Vodka K-A-V-K-A and um, what we will do is it'll be on the website uh, there'll be a whole page uh, devoted to Jan and Kafka and then you can go through to the websites where it's available and uh, of course we'll have a little page on Neil's Yard Dairies if you didn't know where to go and find their stuff um, uh, so we'll make sure those are on the, on the website um, again thank you to um, Holly and Ollie, Pleasure. take the smile off your face. I can't. I'm just so happy. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to tap into when we go off air? All What's of your it. first one? Oh, all of it. <laughs> first one, straight in? Just, I mean, I'm just trying, going to try and steal the one I'm looking. <laughs> yeah, put that in your bag. This, this, this is my son's perfect lunchbox. Is it? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super excited. Poor chap. So you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, which is syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you again to everybody in the studio. And if you'd like to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, just like Jan, for example, get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts um, featuring Holly, Ollie, me and some of our other guest presenters, go to foodtalk.co.uk and I hope you have a good week. Bye.